Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. It is Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. You're listening to the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today, as always, we have a great show planned for you. In the second part of our show today, we're going to have a conversation with Father Timothy Waverick. Father Timothy has written a book, As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ, in which he explores the core message of the gospel as salvation in Christ. Father Weberick is a priest in the Diocese of Austin and is serving as pastor of Assumption Parish in West. And he his hometown's in San Marcos, and he has several degrees, one of them from the Gregorian University in Rome. He received a doctorate in, from the Angelicum University in Rome in 1996. He published various journals and writes for the CatholicThing.org. But before we get to Father Weberick, as always, I want to welcome everyone who's listening on KEDC 88.5 FM Hearn Bryan College Station and listening in Central Texas on KYAR 98.3 FM Lorena Waco. And a shout out to everyone listening in Palestine on KINF 107.9 FM. Our show is live today, so if there's something going on in your parish that you would like to let people know about, feel free to give us a call at any time at 85-LOVE-RED-C. That's 855-683-7332. And I am blessed this morning because I have both Dr. Thaddeus Romanski and Dennis Maka in the studio with me which doesn't happen that often that I'm joined by both of them. So obviously they needed uh, they thought I needed extra supervision this morning. I think there was a uh, a 90s song that went uh, something like you got to keep them separated. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I, I I might understand that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good morning. Good How morning. is everything? Going very well. We're doing quite well. We're uh Going and growing, uh, God has been really good to our apostolate. We're very excited about the directions he's bringing us. So, uh, you know, with the exception of the times that you're the, the show host, you know, things are going well. Well, and it's it. worse if I'm the show host. And thanks be to God. And, uh, th- you know, as a blessing to all our listeners, I get minimal airtime. Hey, since hey Deacon Mike, since we are uh, we're able to be in the studio together on a roundup episode this morning, let's take a quick moment and plug a collaboration that you and I are a part of for our listeners. Get them to be looking out for that next Monday, yes. right? Yes. Uh, we have a podcast that we did last year, and we have come back for season two on the Deacon and the Doc. And uh, Which one? Now, who is who? Well, uh, since I introduced myself as Deacon Mike Beauvais, <laughs> I think our listeners uh, can probably deduce yeah. that the other half of that would be Doctor Thaddeus Romanski. Yeah. So we try to not be too too cagey uh, with our with our listeners, but we're going to be continuing to talk about uh, the legacy 
and the and the events of the Second Vatican Council, the teachings of the Second Vatican Council, because it grew out of our Vatican Council um, classes that we're offering. Those are about to start up again, and you can get information about that on the uh, the website redsearadioorg slash vc two sixty. But the the Deacon and the Doc podcast, the first episode is going to drop, as they say in the biz, on Monday. Yes, it's coming Monday. Um, so, and we'll also be talking about a, a topic near and dear to your heart, which is the National Eucharistic Revival. Yes, and yes. Uh, I think this is really important in the church right now. So we'll be alternating between those two topics and uh, you know some some other Catholic news and culture. Yes, all things Catholic, a fair game for the deacon and the doc. Yep. Uh, also wanted to mention religious education classes are starting back up with the beginning of school. And uh, wanted to mention that, you know, those people who have volunteered to be catechists, I want to say a heartfelt thank you for you volunteering to serve our youth. And those that haven't decided yet to be catechists, it's not too late. Trust me, if you call your local parish and say, I would like to be a catechist, you'll hear cheering in the background. So everyone can be a catechist. All you need to know is provide it, and the kids need you. So think about it. And if I can jump in there, um, there's another opportunity that we uh, can give you to volunteer and to be a catechist, and that is through our Victory Sports Youth Sports Initiative because our coaches are not only coaching the sports skills, they're also uh, being equipped to teach the faith and to uh, especially the virtues, the Catholic virtues. And so we still can use parents, those of you parents out there who signed up your children for Victory Sports, Volleyball, and Flag Football, thank you very much. But we still are in need of a few of you to step forward and be head coaches for a couple of our teams. You can contact our director, Robin Romanski, at robin at victoryusports.org to answer the call. I really like that segue. You betcha. <laughs> Now, we also have someone else on the phone, uh, Deacon Robin Waters. Different Robin. Different Robin. <laughs> uh, we have a Robin Romanski and a Robin Waters, and I think they just call themselves that to confuse me, but mm-hmm. uh, Deacon Robin, how are you this morning? I'm blessed, Deacon Mike. How are you today? Nice segue. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, Deacon Robin... Uh, Fill us in what's going on in Central Texas that our listeners need to hear about. Well, there's just a lot of things going on. The first thing I want to mention is something actually going on down in your area. This Saturday in Franklin, St. Francis of Assisi is going to have a fish and shrimp fry at the Pridgen Center, 530 to 8. And I've heard that it's delicious. So if you can get out there this Saturday, 530 to 8 in Franklin, uh, going out to support the church. Uh, also, uh, St. Joseph's in Marlin is having a uh, festival this weekend. They're going to they're going to be serving chicken fajitas. They're going to have a live music, live auction, bingo, bake sale, just the whole nine yards. So go on out to uh, St. Joseph's in Marlin on Sunday, and so you can have some some uh, fish and shrimp on Saturday, and then cruise up to Marlin and have some chicken fajitas on Sunday. You'll nice. be eating good. Yeah. And just a lot of other things. The next Sunday, Penelope, uh, 
Church of the, of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Penelope is having their bazaar. It's always a great fun event with their barbecued sirloin tips. And one other thing I want to mention is uh, CareNet Pregnancy Center up here in Central Texas in Waco is having their annual banquet on Tuesday, September 20th. So if you would uh, like to really support a good cause and hear a great guest speaker, Dr. Ben Carson is going to be there. That's a big name, right? Yes. He's going to be there. So if you want to uh, support that event, you can go to pregnancycare.org, click on partner, and you can buy tickets to that event and support that great that great outreach of helping women who are uh, have unplanned pregnancies. They they just do amazing work there at the CareNet Pregnancy Center in Waco. It's always amazing to me how many things are going on in our local area that mm-hmm. one of the benefits of being here at the radio station is the opportunity to make people aware of this because sometimes, you know, these events go by us. And, um, for instance, having a fish and shrimp fry in Franklin in Bryan College Station, you might not have heard it, but Franklin's not th- that far away. So, nope, not that far. easy trip up there. So, uh, Catholic Radio has a wonderful niche there to be able to let people know about these. Thank you, Deacon Robin. To my good deacons, is yes, is a fish and shrimp fry outside of Lent, is that canonically legal? Um, <clears throat> I am sure that someone's probably asked the Pope for dispensation. a dispensation. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's well, good. I know many people eat fish every Friday. So <laughs> no, I'm I would think kidding. it'd be fine. <laughs> well, uh, especially since this is on a Saturday. So, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah You're good sure, to go. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Woo. I was worried about that one there. Yes. Uh, now Dennis has to go because, you know, now that he knows there's a dispensation. Oh, I thought you were saying I have to go. I have to mute my mic now. I can do that, too. I'll do that. I'll fade to the background. Oh. And I love you, Deacon Mike. I'm very happy you're here. I, I'm, we have uh, self-deprecating humor sometimes, but you are so appreciated. Well, thank you. And um, we always appreciate you being here, because otherwise I wouldn't be on the air, because I have no <laughs> idea what any of the buttons over there do. Neither do I. <laughs> One last thing I wanted to talk about this morning before we end the first segment of this is there is a feast day tomorrow coming up, which is sort of unique. We're celebrating the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And on the church calendar, there's only three birthdays that we celebrate. We celebrate the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We celebrate the birthday of John the Baptist. And we celebrate the birthday of Jesus, which, of course, is Christmas. But the date for the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary is September 8th. And I'm going to put Thaddeus on the spot. Can you tell me why the birthday is September 8th? Why is the birthday September 8th? Uh Uh-huh. I think it's connected to... I'm suspecting that it's connected to the placement on the liturgical calendar of another feast day that is Marian. Exactly. The Immaculate Conception, Conception. which is nine months from September 8th. It's December 8th. Yes. So we celebrate the birthday. And most of... Which, just a little tangential point, just in the same way that March 25th, which is the feast of the Annunciation, 
is nine months from December 25th. Yes. And that, that feast day actually is older than the nativity. Yes. Uh, or at least a celebrated Ce- by the church. Celebrated, yes. Yes. And so uh, it's interesting when we look at the church calendar, the placement of these things, Purposeful. there's a reason why they're placed where they are. And sometimes we don't know this. Um, I wanted to mention that uh, most of the information that we have about Mary's birth and, of course, her parents and all this actually come from a document called the Proto-Evangelium of James. And it's not a canonical document, but (laughs) there's nothing contrary to the gospel in it. And therefore, the church takes the information there as being reliable. Uh, might, might not be inspired, but it's certainly the information is uh, reliable. Right, and no claim of inerrancy in that right. uh, either. Yes. Uh, just because it says that Anne and Joachim are the parents of Mary, they might have had a misspelling, but right. we just go with the information that we have because it's the best source that we have. But one other thing I wanted to touch on, and I've only got a minute or so left, is the fact that the nativity of the Blessed Virgin reminds us, as we mentioned, of the Immaculate Conception, which, of course, the point being that Mary is still saved through Jesus, just as the church says, we believe that Mary's salvation came before she was exposed to original sin, rather than, in our case, after we're exposed to original sin. The salvation still hinges on her son, just as ours does. So sometimes we get off on a tangent and we get into the weeds saying, how can she be free of sin? Same way that we are, just timing. And so a lot of times we tend to get a little bit um, sidetracked when we talk about these things. But I think it's an important feast day on the calendar of the church because, again, it reminds us that when we say Jesus was fully human, he had a mother, just like we do, and his birth might not be the same as ours, but he was born of a mother, a woman, and um, she just happened to be free of sin. Now, we're about to go to a break, so remember, coming back, we're going to speak with Father Timothy Waverick uh, about his book, As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ. So I will see you back on the other side. And we are back. You're listening to the Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Bobay. As promised, in a moment, we're going to be speaking with Father Timothy Waverick about his book, As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ. Father Timothy, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure. Uh, Before we get into the book itself, uh, 
you know, we have a brief bio on you, you know, the fact that you have, you know, several degrees, including a doctorate from the Angelicum University in Rome, uh, that you're a pastor at Assumption Parish in West. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I'm the second of seven children, and my folks and some of the family still lives in the San Marcos or San Marcos area. Um, and graduated from uh, Texas State, um, took a degree in physics, uh, was on my way to grad school, um, and instead wound up uh, entering the seminary and uh, went up to Dallas, uh, Holy Trinity Seminary, University of Dallas, where they made me do a whole bunch of uh, philosophy and church history and language to get me ready to do my theology studies, because my undergraduate degree had been in physics, not in not in one of the sort of the uh, liberal arts. And um, after a year up there, then uh, the bishop sent me uh, to Rome. I was in Rome for four years and came back and was ordained in 85 and been serving the Diocese of Austin ever since. I did have a three-year time period where I worked for a bishop up in Brooklyn who had charge in the United States for the Lebanese Catholics, the Maronites. Um, but I've been in parish ministry um, the, uh, all the rest of the time, mostly up in the Waco area, um, Waco, Gatesville, and uh, and now West. So I know what you mean about uh, the science background going into theology, because when I went back to school, I had a bachelor's degree in animal science, which had no philosophy whatsoever. Cows don't philosophize. So... They first thing they said is if you're going to get a, a degree in theology, you're going to have to take an introductory course to philosophy, and that was one of the most interesting things for me because that was an immersion in something totally alien to me. Yes, well, my, my undergraduate work had required some philosophy. I would note that um, the cows might not philosophize, but they do ruminate. Ah, um, let's see, you see, um, so they. Uh, they go over that cut over and over again, just like a philosopher ruminates on various uh, ideas and, and concepts and whatnot. I'm going to have to steal that. You do know that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit, uh, what was your call to the priesthood like? Because that's you know always fascinating to me. Here you are you know, going to college. Uh, getting a sure. degree in a field that you're probably thinking that's going to be your career. What made that well, I, turn for you? Yeah, well, I, I have a, don't have much of a very fancy uh, call. Um, I I had some consideration of uh, doing something besides physics. Um, wanted to know more about the way things are, and had considered philosophy and even theology. Um, had much considered the priesthood. Um, and uh, somebody suggested me the priesthood, and, you know, well, my my response was, well, if God wanted me to do something like that, um, you know, here I am getting fix, fixing to graduate from college, never really thought about being a priest, um, that, you know, that he should have, he's the one that has to make that clear to me. Um, and so, um, anyway, I kind of called that having God over a barrel. If he wants me to do something different, he has to let me know. Uh, well, um I woke up one day and uh, became aware that I was very much um, certain that um, I had to take certain steps now because I had to get ready to get go to the seminary in a couple of weeks. This was in July. 
you can never get in the semi area this fast anymore. Um, but anyway, um, it was just a internal certitude that I needed to go to the seminary. Wasn't exactly I needed to become a priest, but um, certainly that I needed to go to the seminary. There were no bright lights. There's no voice from on high, but it was very certain, and I knew it hadn't come from me. So I took it as God now had me over a barrel. So off I went. That's my vocation story. So you didn't lay a fleece out and ask for God to have dew on it rather than on the ground and. Oh, no, indeed. I told God I wasn't going to play any games at all like that, that he knew he knew me. He made me. And if he wanted me to do anything different, he knew how to make it clear. I wasn't looking for any signs or symbols or anything like that. Just, mm. just you know, make 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 it known. Um, and and he, he made it known um, in a very quiet but a very clear way. So, um, yeah. So within six weeks, I was in the seminary and um, within a year I was uh, in Rome. So it was a it was a big change in a, in a in a few short months, for sure. Now, about your book, As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ, what was your inspiration to writing this? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, uh, my inspiration, I suppose, is twofold. Um, one, I simply wanted to try to come to understand more deeply the, the mystery of our salvation. And um, then um, more to the point, about 15 years ago, my my mother told me in very clear terms that, um, 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 I don't, don't know exactly if she said the Lord told her, that's not the way she, she'd speak, but it was pretty clear to her that I needed to write. Uh, and um, and then uh, a couple of years later, I have a classmate, a very good friend, and he said, listen, um, I think the Lord wants you to write, uh, and so from that point on, I tried to try to put my my thoughts and prayers, my preaching and my pastor experience into writing. Um, and yeah, here we are, 15 years later, and actually there's a small book out. So that's how it came to came to pass. It's born out of my 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 parish uh, my parish work and my own spiritual life, my own preaching of the gospel. Now, did you have an objective in writing the book, a certain audience you were trying to reach, a certain message that was your central theme of trying to get out with this book? Well, I, I certainly um, believe that we have lost sight of the real heart of of the God, what I consider to be the heart of the gospel. I think, I think um, certainly the tradition of the church tells us that it is. And and that's the truth that um, Jesus didn't just die to forgive us our sins and save us from hell. That he died in order, as he said, so that when he was lifted up on the cross, he might draw everyone to himself. Um, and that the purpose of our salvation uh, it begins right now, not at some future date. Um, and that heart of that is that we are have been made as members of the church. Um, we are... Uh, we've been united to Jesus and we've become one with Jesus and we share his life and we share in his saving mission. So it's not just about sins being forgiven and not going to hell. It's not even just about going to heaven. Uh, it's about sharing the life of God in Christ right here, right now. And in the, in the manner of our life being a means by which a way by which he's bringing about a change in our life to make us uh, one with him more perfectly. Uh, but also we become a means by which he is bringing about the salvation of others. 
Uh, and so we're joined with Christ in his saving work. He's the head. We're the members of his bride and body. Uh, he's the source of salvation, but we are co-workers now with him, um, not just his, uh, his handiwork, but his co-workers. And I think that is the heart of the gospel. It's been lost sight of. And uh, in our contemporary world, um, they're suffering in many ways because we've lost sight of that. Now, in your introduction, you titled it The Beauty and Challenge of Christianity. And I think that sort of blends in what you were just saying. What did you mean by the beauty and challenge of Christianity? Well, certainly. I mean, if if God has called us to be united to himself, and this is the clear message uh, from the passage in Genesis, uh, uh, for this reason, a man should leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one. Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that 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 is speaking, in fact, about uh, the mystery, the great reality. Uh, a mystery isn't a puzzle. It's a it's a reality that you have to enter into to begin to experience. You can never fully understand it. But that refers to the mystery of Christ in the church. And so so this is um, this is what God has been doing. And throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, the image of marriage is used precisely because um, marriage itself was established by God after the pattern of Christ in the church. And of course, the book of Revelation ends with the great wedding feast uh, of, the, of, of the Lamb. So that's a pretty beautiful, <laughs> beautiful story, that God has um, humbled himself to become a man in order that we might be fully united to him and share in his life and share in his work. That's a, otherwise, it's a blasphemous story if God hadn't done it and so it's a it's a wondrous and beautiful thing of course it's a challenge because um we are first of all we're creatures we're human beings we're not by nature we're not god um and then in addition we're sinful so we've actually turned away from him and yet still he calls us to this this life uh, which he does by bringing us into a new relationship with him a new covenant uh in christ just as husband and wife are brought into a covenant of marriage. They're two separate persons, yet now they become one. So we're not we're separate persons from Jesus and from the Trinity, and yet now we become one through this new relationship that he gives us. Just reminding our listeners that I'm speaking with Father Timothy Waverick about his book, As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ. Now, you spend a lot of time at the beginning of the book making the connection between relationship and salvation. And you just alluded to that, the, the marriage covenant being such a strong symbol in our relationship with uh, Jesus and the Trinity. Now, our salvation is linked directly to having that relationship, correct? That's what constitutes our salvation. I mean, the word salvation comes from the Latin word in terms of how we get it in English, uh, salus, which means health or well-being. And again, the gospel isn't about, it certainly involves forgiveness of sin and avoiding hell. But, but God's purpose is that we share his life. And that is what makes us whole 
and healthy and complete as human beings um, because God has called us into that union with himself. And that, um, that establishes our identity um, and the, the reality of the purpose of our existence is that sharing God's life. I mean, otherwise, Christianity simply becomes a set of, of abstract beliefs that you have and rules for do and don't. Um, and, 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 and that's a very inadequate understanding of Christianity. It's, it's sharing in the life of Christ, and our moral life isn't a matter of apply, is not fundamentally a matter of applying moral principles. It's fundamentally a matter of living with Jesus, who abides in us and we in him. And then understanding that our life now is a share in his life uh, and that to do anything other than uh, share his life um, is, um, is immoral. Uh, and that, that's where morality comes from, the sharing Jesus's life, not from, not from some sort of rational calculation we go through. Um, and otherwise, Christianity becomes uh, just sort of a philosophy of life instead of Jesus being the way, the truth and the life. That's the real heart of the matter. That's a very interesting point you made, because when you were talking, I was just thinking, in lieu of what you were just saying, that's like saying that, you know, the definition of marriage is uh, don't cheat on your spouse, don't beat your spouse, don't do this, you know, well, that's not... Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Right. And too often the story of Christian salvation has been told um, we committed adultery. That was an injustice. Now we have to make ourselves righteous before God. And so Jesus is sent so that we can become righteous for God. Okay, no one who's been through adultery is worried in the, in the least about that kind of a narrow understanding of the wrong that's been done um, and that narrow understanding of justice. Um, they are concerned about the personal reality of the relationship that's been betrayed and broken, um, and then the desire for reconciliation and, and, and union. Um, and the gospel is about that reconciliation and union. That's the key point of what Jesus came to do. Hence, again, his language, um, when I'm lifted up, I will drive him unto myself. Uh, yes, that certainly entails um, uh, the reality of uh, sin as an offense against God and and, and the reality of hell and all these other things. But the purpose, the meaning of what he's doing is that reconciliation. There's also, obviously, there's a place for doctrine and, and moral teaching, but they have to remain linked to the reality of who Jesus is, or they become just a set of burdens. I got to do this now to please my, to please my loved one. I mean, that's, that's not a very, I mean, it'll do in a pinch, but, but, but it won't really last you very long. Now, this understanding of relationship and salvation, one of the challenges in our culture, and you point this out in your book, is that rather than having a relational understanding of personhood, we have such a focus on individualism in our culture. And what is the challenge in having that mindset to our understanding of relationship and salvation? Well, there's a there's something that's been a challenge for a long time, but it's becoming even uh, even worse than a challenge now. Um, right? If we understand the human person as an individual, that's like uh, an individual is the the smallest example of a, of a classification 
of objects. So a particular book on the shelf or a particular plate uh, in in the cupboard, um, that's an individual one. Um, it's understood as being undividable. It's the smallest possible unit. But if you then you can understand dogs and cats that way. But you can't understand human beings that way because we can't be properly understood except in our relationship to others. Um, just as God is three persons, you can't understand the Father except in relation to the Son and the Holy Spirit and vice versa for the other persons in the Trinity. So it's just simply false uh, uh, understanding in Western Western society for centuries now of the individual is a, is a false basis um, because it leaves out precisely our relation. And we see this um, in the way, uh, for instance, the way that Western civilization has treated uh, the environment as if we have no relationship to it or the relationship we have is simply that we can individually impose our will upon nature and use it any way we want. We've lost the sense of being related to other persons, being related to the world, being related to God, and therefore um, having responsibilities to them, right? I mean, the word responsibility, the ability to respond. Human beings are persons. We don't just react as an animal would, would react. We respond to others. We respond to the world. We respond to God. Um, and that all involves that personal relationship that individualism forgets. And now, of course, most recently, um, we've gone further and said that um, individualism is so extreme that we get to establish the, our own identity, our own meaning, and our own purpose in life to the point we can define whether we're male or female or any other number of things. Um, and, and we resist the notion that we're not self-made in that way. We're losing sight of that as a culture, which will make things difficult for Christians growing up in the culture. You make a point of St. Thomas's understanding of knowledge and how it differs from our thoughts about knowledge in, uh, uh, today. Would you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, this is getting back to the foundations of the problem of individualism. Um, we've, we now look at our intellect um, our capacity for knowledge basically as a means of gaining data, information that we can then use to master the world around us. Um, we look at our will um, uh, primarily in terms of our ability to choose and therefore to have self-choice and self-determination. Um, but, but that's all a real, that's a mess. Um, for Aquinas, indeed, for for the bulk of early Christian um, experience, and even, in fact, for many of the um, Greek and Roman um, philosophers, um, uh, knowledge was about a relationship. Um, the will was about a relationship. It was about the fact that the human person has the capacity to, um, through knowledge, um, contact other persons and the world around. Uh, and uh, enter into um, an intentional and um, uh, uh, a notional awareness of the world. And so knowledge didn't mean just information. It meant taking the thing in, 
um, so that um, I be, I was informed by it, informed by it. That is to say, I was inwardly shaped by my encounter with something or someone. And so there's that connection then. Um, the world would be very different if we understood um, that information wasn't just information, that knowledge is about that kind of a relationship. That, that yes, why we have the power to choose, the fact is through our will, the real, the real gift of the will is the capacity to give ourselves to someone or to receive them uh, and to delight in them. And all that's been, been forgotten. Uh, but it was, was, was key to Christian thought for the first thousand years in the West. Again, I want to remind our listeners, I'm talking with Father Timothy Waverick about his book, As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ. One of the things I thought of when I was reading your um, explanation on the difference of St. Thomas's understanding and knowledge and our current understanding that all we're doing is gaining information, um, Bernard Lonergan's method, when he's talking about cognition, and the emphasis that if I gain knowledge, if it doesn't force me to change, I really haven't gained anything. There has to be an action attached to my growing in this. And I thought that, you know, speaks very much to the understanding that, you know, we're in a relationship and everything that I gain ultimately has to be shown in action. Well, right, and even before that, it has to be shown inwardly that I myself am changed, right? Right. That knowledge causes information, that is, I'm being formed inwardly. You see what happens if you turn uh, if you turn knowledge into information, if you turn will into choice. Well, here's what happens to the Christian gospel. Uh, suddenly, doctrine simply becomes viewed as information instead of actually telling us about who Jesus is and being a means that by which we enter into a deeper knowledge and love of him. And morality, morality becomes simply a set of rules about God's will. And, and then we, now we have, to, we have to submit ourselves to God's will as, as you would to a taskmaster or something. Instead of understanding morality and the will about, uh, uh, about the ability to respond to what is good and what is true, to respond to other people. And, and, so, and so morality becomes more about duty and obligation, um, uh, understood in a very narrow sense, rather than as a response of my person, as something that draws me and has a claim on me, right? Um, uh, again, in a marriage, in a family, you do what you do, uh, not because you have obligations in, the, in that kind of legalistic sense, you do it because it's your spouse. You do it because it's your brother, or your sister, and, and who would do, who would do it simply because I happen to I ha, they happen to be the person I'm married to that happens to be uh, my my sibling by genetics. I mean, okay, they're they're it's better they do it for that reason than not at all. But but they've lost the heart of the matter, and a lot of Christianity long ago lost the heart of the matter. That is that Jesus is calling us to know Him, to be changed by Him. Uh, to share his life, and in our concrete circumstances of the life that he's given us, um, live it in such a way as to become transformed by living it and help him transform others. 
they simply we don't simply have a, a hardly a vision for that anymore. And I think this may explain why you spend so much time on the Trinity, because that is the example of what our relationships should look like. Well, yes, the Trinity, um, certainly if we want to understand what a person is, we have to begin with the God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in our day and age, the Trinity provides a very helpful um, um, remedy to uh, mistaken notions of what it means to be a person. So, for instance, our society emphasizes self-determination um, and choosing who I am and my goals and my identity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit don't choose to be the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They weren't something before. Um, they are who they are only because of their relationship to one another. Um, and that is to say they're defined, if we want to put it that way. Their personhood is defined by their relationship to others. So it's not something, the Father doesn't simply make himself to be the Father, nor the Son make himself to be the Son, nor the Holy Spirit. It is by their relationship. This has profound implications for our individualistic culture in which we're forever trying to find ourselves by breaking our relationships to people and going off and trying to reinvent ourselves. And this has a profound effect on our culture. It destabilizes it. But it also has an effect on Christians who, who begin to see the gospel itself as a burden. And so they want to change the gospel to fit their own lifestyle. They want God to be accepting of them in the sense of saying it's okay for them to be the way they are. Uh, when God is calling them to something far greater and far better than that. Speaking of this, uh before we can talk about salvation, something that we need to understand is the fall and its effect on our relationship with God. Would you talk a little bit about that? Right. So, I mean, by the fact that we're a creature, we don't, by that fact, have a right to a relationship to God in which we share his life. Right. We have a relationship to God as a, as our creator. Um uh, but not one by which we would, uh, in in the church, be wed to him and made one with him. Um, so there's, first, first of all, there's that just infinite d- distance, as it were, between us and God. Although uh, there's a relationship with God. He loves us and he, and he cares for us, even under that view. Uh, but, but, of course, the situation for us is worse than just being creatures because we're sinners. Because we've betrayed God and we've betrayed one another. Um, and so uh, we're, we're not, we're not, we're not, as we would say, no, we're not right with God. We're not right with one another, and we don't have the power to make that, set that all back on track. Um, you, you break trust with your family or with a spouse. You can't dictate the terms. You and there's nothing you can ever do to earn your way back. And if you try to even suggest that you're earning your way back. Um, you only show you don't understand the situation. This is not a matter of you can earn your way back by anything. Um, it's a matter of a personal relationship. It's not a transaction. You, you took t- 20 bucks, give me 20 bucks back. Um, you betrayed me. Um, and um, there has to be personal reconciliation. Uh, and so our salvation is about, is about a, a, a reconciliation that overcomes the fact that we're sinners, overcomes the fact that we're creatures, and offers us union with God. So it's overcoming, uh, um, yeah, infinite gaps uh, 
uh, which which can be done uh, because of God's generosity toward us and His love and His and His wisdom, the way way He goes about doing all that. Um, but that's that's what salvation is: that being drawn from the state of sim- simply being a creature, um, and certainly from the state of being a sinner, uh, to being a child of God. United to Christ, who is now one with God. It's big stuff. Oh yes. Uh, would you talk a little bit about the concept of Exodus and Redditus? Well, that's getting into pretty. <laughs> that's getting into into more uh, 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 exalted theological and philosophical reflections. But to basically um, um, describe it, um, uh, the notion, the reality that um, God creates and gives life to everything, um, that, and it comes forth from him as the creator. That's the exitus, meaning the exit, the going forth. Um, and um, and that this, it's all comes forth from God, who is the origin, but God is also the goal. And so it's drawn back to him. That is the reditus. So this motion of, of coming forth from God as our origin, but also going back to God as our goal. And then we find ourselves someplace in between. Uh, and so God sends forth the word, Jesus, who takes flesh. He sends forth the Holy Spirit, who's poured out upon us in order to come to us so that we can then turn from our selfishness and sin and go back to God, make that return. We're like the prodigal son who comes to his senses and says, I know I will go back to my father. Uh, and that going back um, is, um, is the radiatus. So this is, broadly speaking, this is a great sweep of what God is doing in creation. He is giving life. He has given being to all creation and to the human race, uh, but it's being drawn back to him in Christ Jesus to share his life. And even creation in its own way will participate that in the new heavens and the new earth. So that's a very large sweeping view of, of what God is doing. I've always been fascinated by this idea that ultimately everything originates from God and ultimately everything must return to God. And we see this so often in Scripture, in the descriptions, the fall, uh, you know, the beginning, man moves away from God, but God draws him back. Uh, right. And Indeed, and God is, always, God is always at work at every instant, or we wouldn't even exist. So God continues to sustain us, and, and the going forth and the coming back is all... Um, the working of God from beginning to end. It's not just he starts the thing and then he brings it to an end. He is at work at every moment and every place uh, in everyone and everything uh, to to bring all things to completion. Now, human beings, we can resist or we can, in the end, we can refuse that. But um, but he, he, that is, he is always at work sustaining us and providing for us. And we don't have to earn salvation from God. He gives it to us. We have to walk in it. We have to not refuse him, uh, but we don't have to earn it because you can never earn, you can never earn that kind of gift. Now, 
One of the things you talk about in the book is the total self-emptying of Christ, the kenosis, in order for him to offer himself as a sacrifice because he basically has to give up everything to for him even to die. So that notion of kenosis and then, of course, for us, the call for us to do the same. Would you talk a little bit about that? Right. So this is the passage in Ephesians chapter 2 that although, uh, uh, well, Paul says, your attitude must be that of Christ Jesus, who, though he was God, did not cling to his dignity as God, but emptied himself, um, um, even to the point of death and death on a cross. Well, the emptying himself uh, or the pouring himself out, that is in, in Greek is connected to the word kenosis. So Jesus, I mean, if somebody empties themselves out, that's, not, that's another word for talking about love, right? Um, we pour ourselves out um, for those we love. Jesus, out of love for the Father and love for each each of us, um, uh, emptied himself out, um, humbled himself, became a man, humbled himself further to love us in the midst of our sin knowing each of us, knowing all of our sins, knowing, knowing what we, had, we have done and what has been done to us, standing with us in all of those moments uh, so that they become now, um, when joy or in sorrow, uh, they become a place of encounter with Jesus. So imagine that. Uh, the reality of our sin as we stand before it, Jesus is already standing there. And so we are not alone with it. But evil is done to us. Something terrible happens to us. We're never alone. Jesus already knew this and carried this out of love for us and carried the weight of all that and the horror and the grief. And this is the source of his suffering on the cross, much more so than simply the nails being driven through, through his flesh. Um, and uh, so he empties himself out in this way. And then we are called to uh, do the same, not by trying to imitate him, but by sharing his life. And so he draws us in to that um, kenosis. But, but for us, it's a, it's a bit different because Jesus could empty himself out because he first was fully in possession of himself. Well, we're not in possession of ourselves because, uh, because of sin. Um, we, don't, we don't control ourselves. We don't have possession, full possession of ourselves. So for us, this is called metanoia, what, what Jesus call, makes the call of conversion, of penance, of repentance. And it's a life in which now our attitude, as Paul said, must be that of Christ Jesus. We must empty ourselves out in and with Christ uh, in service and love to God and our neighbor, which we do, as um, Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 6. We do by way of prayer, self-sacrifice, or fasting is the word he uses there. Uh, and works of mercy, um, or almsgiving, as he, as he calls it. And so that our, in this way, our living out of our Christian life each day um, in service to God and our neighbor uh, transforms us and uh, makes us more one with the heart of Christ and the mind of Christ. Um, and we then bear a witness that becomes both a sign to others and a means of God's grace to them. This is all really big stuff. It's all 
all-encompassing of, of our life, and it's a view that a lot of Christians, even unfortunately even Catholics, have lost sight of. And I think that's what I like about your book so much. It's a reminder that, you know, so often we, even as faithful Catholics, buy into this idea that it's all about us. And Hell yeah, of course, yeah. And rather than thinking that the whole point of metanoia, the whole point of a relationship with Jesus is basically get over yourself. It's... What, what, well, it's basically find yourself by getting over yourself. Yes. Find God, find Christ, find others, find everything by getting over yourself, right? Um, and, you know, in the book, of course, I, I, I go from creation all the way to, uh, to heaven, but I end the book in the conclusion with uh, concrete suggestions about how we should go about living this new life of Christ in metanoia in terms of our our prayer and our our practice of our duties in life um, because because i mean once you can see the beauty of it we still have to get down to the brass tacks of actually living it out because it's not just an idea that won't <laughs> that's you know that's a, that's a, again treating it like information uh, as data it's supposed to be transforming us uh, and for that we need some practical simple steps of to how to live our our christian life which brings it right back to this notion of uh, relationship, uh, especially in the view of marriage. I can have all the knowledge of marriage that I want that isn't going to help me live out married life. Uh, right. I mean, it, 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 if you've got the right ideas, then you, it, some of the things might not surprise you. But, um, um, uh, but you'll be surprised at the reality when you encounter it, right? Yes. Um, yes, as, as we live it. And this is the meaning of the word mystery in, 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 in Christian thought, that the mystery of Christ isn't a puzzle. Like, how did he do that? How is God three in one? How is, how is Christ two human and divine? No, no, no it's not about a puzzle. A, a mystery is um, a, a reality that's, that's so far surpassing us that the only way um, that it can be understood at all is by being lived, by being, by entering into, uh, and the Paschal mystery of Christ, the mystery of His passion, death, and resurrection for us, um, is entering into the heart of Jesus, becoming united to Him, then for putting on the mind of Christ as well, um, and beginning to see things differently because now we see them with the heart and the eyes of Jesus. That's what has to happen. And so all the reading we do, the study we do, it's important. Um, but if, if we're not entering into the reality of what that's about, um, then it's not going to serve us as well as it otherwise could. Now, we've only got a couple of minutes left. So would you briefly tell us what you would like the readers of your book to walk away with? I would like the readers to walk away with... Um, um, having been overwhelmed by the beauty of what God is doing for us. My book is not a book to be read simply to get data. It will require multiple readings. Um, I hope they begin to capture um, through prayerful consideration the reality of the life that God has given to us now 
in his son Jesus, by which we are called to share in his life and work. And then hopefully, especially with that final concluding uh, conclusion, that they begin to really take seriously, how am I living my life? What, and, and, and what are the things I need to be doing differently to begin to, to, to get my spiritual life in order so that my daily life can be in order, uh, so that we don't get caught up with the errors of, of the world and begin to think half like Christians and half like pagans. Again, the title of the book is As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ. I know it's available on the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology website, but I'm assuming you can order it from Amazon also. You can, and um, you can also just put Emmaus Publishing. That's the simple way to get to the St. Paul Center. Uh, but yes, they also have it at Amazon, of course. All right. Uh, Father Weber, thank you very much for being on the show. I wanted to thank everyone who listened to the program. Uh, feel free to go and get the book because it's fascinating. Next thank week you for we'll the have opportunity. another. Oh, you are welcome. Next week we'll have another episode of the Red Sea Roundup. Remember, tune in for that. Until then, when considering the many ways in which you might share your time, talents, and treasure with the people of God, always round up. Yeah. Since you